This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 96. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts... Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I'm joined by my co-host Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, what is going on? Okay, why does that question stump me so much where I just cannot <laughs> think of an answer? I'm like, I don't know, um... <laughs> uh, how are you, Lisa? I am good. How are you doing? See, I'm never better. better. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the show about colored pencils where we give you the art facts without all the fluff. So, Lisa, what are we talking about today? We are answering questions about colored pencil from our listeners. All right. Yeah, we're doing this the entire month of March, and we've got one more show of Q&As after today's show. So next week, we've got one more Q&A show coming up for you. So, the first question comes from Karen, and she writes, First, I'd like to thank both you and Lisa for such an informative and entertaining podcast. It's the highlight of my Monday, and no matter what the subject, I always learn something. My question is about signatures. I always get nervous when I get to that point. You don't want to mess up a perfectly good drawing with something too noticeable, childish if printed, or in the wrong place. Also, I've heard it said that you shouldn't sign any autograph the way you sign your checks. And finally, at a year, date, or not. I've seen it both ways. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, so as for you shouldn't sign your name as you sign your checks. Now, I personally don't because I don't use the same name. Also, I don't think that's such a big deal. Realistically, when there, when fraud comes into play, that's usually not the way it's done. I don't know how many of you have been victims of identity theft and all of that. That signature is usually not that easy to copy, and that's not how people normally go after you. So I don't think it's... Yeah, as, especially in this day and age. Really yeah, it may have been a bigger deal 20, 30, 40 years ago. that's the reason why you're say, asking that. Yeah, it's not such a big deal now. So that isn't something that I would worry too much about. However, you're probably not going to sign the way, your name the way you would your checks anyway, because most people don't sign their I first wouldn't. and last name on a painting. They usually go with just their last name, or some will do just the first. But I don't see too many artists sign the full name, let alone have it come out just like it would on your paintings because or on your check, because it's a different medium. It's either a pen on a flat piece of paper or colored pencil or painting. It's not going to really look exactly the same anyway. So I really don't think that that's something to be too concerned about as far as where to sign it. It depends on the piece. Normally, I'll sign in the bottom right or left-hand corner, but sometimes that isn't the best look. If I'm doing a marine painting, I'll sum where it's over and underwater, you're seeing both. I will usually sign my name at the waterline. I like how that looks. Uh, how you want to sign as far as your date or anything else, that's up to you. I do include the year. Uh, it's worked into the design of my signature because my signature is kind of a, I end up making it sort of a square. Well, I guess it's more rectangle than square. But when I sign it on the H kind of loops down on the left of that is where the year goes on the right, I add a little symbol. So it just kind of squares out 
that's just how I sign mine. I recommend try several different ways on a piece of paper and figure out how you want to sign that before you you do that on your artwork, but really spend some time designing it. There are many art schools who in, have an entire class dedicated around designing how you're going to sign your name for your artwork. I knew a lady for a while who used to sign, her name was Joy, and she would draw a J, and then the O and the Y were within that J. It was just a really neat design. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. I just recommend spend some time, I mean, spend a whole day, and really try different ideas. Yeah, I really love the fact that you're concerned about this. I love it that you're thinking about this because I tell you what, you've seen it done poorly. You've seen it look really awful, and it's just sort of a detractor. You look at the nice artwork, and then you see some large, uh, hideous-looking signature, and like, whoa, what happened there? Um, So, yeah, one of the things you can do also is just take some computer paper and cut out little uh, squares or whatever it is and and put your signature on that and then kind of place it around on your project and see where it might look best, that sort of thing. Something you can try. I just go with my first initial and then my last name. And then there's other information, typically, if it's a commission piece, that I'll put on the back of the drawing and uh, have that available to the buyer. But you know, I don't put a date. You um, you can do that if you want to. It doesn't really matter, I don't think, one way or the other. But I don't sign it the way I sign my checks because I don't really sign any checks maybe once or twice a year. And that's horrible signature. Anytime I'm signing <laughs> anything, that's terrible. But if I'm signing at the grocery store, you know, making a purchase or something, I just do a smiley face or something. You know, <laughs> it really doesn't. Those signatures, they don't really matter too much anymore, right? We're in a digital age. Yeah, you, you can be stolen from without having ever, yeah. no one ever saw the signature. So that's not really such an issue anymore. Yeah, but don't get nervous about this. Just go ahead and, you know, test it out, try different things and try to make it look as artistic and like it is balanced and it goes where it where you placed it in a very nice way and it, and it looks nice, you know. So that's something just to keep in mind that you want it to not be something that's detracting from the rest of the piece. But you don't need to hide it completely either. I've seen where some artists, they'll do a painting and then they'll sign it with bright red and there's no red anywhere else in the painting. And that's automatically where the viewer's eye now lands. That's horrible. Don't do that. But I've seen where artists think, well, I'm just going to sign the back. Well, what's the point? You're, people are buying into the artist as much as it, they are the artwork. If there's no signature, you just lost a lot of value on that piece. You yeah. want people to be able to clearly see your signature. You just don't want that to be where their focus lands. Yeah, be proud of your work. Sign it. Sign it on the front. Question two is actually going to be a two-part question. The first part says, Hi, John and Lisa. I'm thinking about teaching colored pencil classes. I taught how-to classes to new hires and to other employees where I worked and was a substitute teacher for a while. So I'm fine with teaching in general. I feel I'm a pretty good artist, but I'm not sure if I qualify to teach colored pencil art. When did you feel you were ready to teach these classes? All right. Well, let me just weigh in here real quick. I mean, one of the things about it is you don't have to be like this teacher that has taught 35 years of art. You don't have to do that because it depends on who you're teaching. And if you're teaching people that are just a few steps behind you, and especially if people are asking you about your artwork and how you did certain things, it and if you feel comfortable and confident in explaining it, it might be a good time to evaluate whether you want to start teaching. So that's kind of what I did is I started having questions from people and they started asking me and sending me messages and emailing me. And so then it was kind of a logical step to start teaching. 
But, you know, as far as having teaching credentials and being certified as a public school teacher and all that stuff, it, re- it really doesn't matter uh, at all. And you can you know, still teach art if it's something that you're able to do. If you're able to explain things and you're able to break things down in simple steps and something that is methodical and easy to follow, then you can probably teach. And if it's something that you desire to do, he who teaches learns, right? So there's a different thing that happens in your brain when you start teaching something. You start thinking about it and assimilating the information differently than you would otherwise. And it's it's a different thing. So I commend you for thinking about this and, and wanting to do it. And there's nothing as fun as teaching. It's thrilling. I love it. Yeah. And I think, too, if you are just getting started out, start by teaching a class for beginners. Yeah. So that's going to put a lot less pressure on you. I mean, I wouldn't jump mm-hmm. into saying that it's an advanced class until you get a little bit more comfortable with teaching and you see how everything goes. But teach for beginners or you can teach like preteens. I always found that students, once they hit about 12, started really f- being able to focus and draw just as well as adults. So that was a great, great age. That was actually preteens and teens were the age that I started with when I started teaching years ago. So that definitely, I think, is a little bit less intimidating. And you will learn just even from that how to word things in a way that others are going to understand. So you don't have to jump into advanced classes to start with. Start with a few beginner classes. Yeah. And if you're a beginner yourself, I'm going to tell you something. If you're able to teach and break things down so that people can learn, you are perfectly positioned to teach a new beginner because you've overcome some of those things very uh, you know, in in the recent past, and so you know exactly what to say to them. You know the vocabulary and the language to use to talk to somebody who is just starting out. The next part of this question says, "I am also now doing commissions, specifically pet and animal artists. How difficult was it for you, and how long before you became an established commission artist? I know I need a website, but I'm not ready to commit to creating YouTube videos at this time. Did you advertise in specific newspapers and magazines, or on Craigslist? This is probably a stretch, but did you go door to door and leave flyers on cars' windshields? Do you think having a blog site is more effective than just having a static website, or do you think having both is better?" I understand that people pay for the name of an artist, but do you think there is a minimum price to charge for somebody new to commission work? So getting started with doing commissions, because I did pet portraits for quite a while. And the main way that I advertised, this is back before Facebook was so big. So it was through dog forums. I have Italian greyhounds. So that was a go-to place for me to get a lot of commissions. Um, Yes, having a website is extremely important. I know for me, when I'm looking to buy something, if that person does not have a website, I automatically assume they're not all that serious. So I'm probably not going to purchase from them. And the website is such a great place for you to have your, not just your price list, but a lot of samples of your work. So people know what they're going to get from you. I think that that is just really, really important. Having the blog, and I didn't use mine for the first several years. Well, actually, when I did pet commissions, I wasn't using my blog hardly at all. So I don't think that's necessary, but it is a good habit to get into because that gives you fresh content on a regular basis, which is going to help you for SEO and people finding you through search engines Mm -hmm. long term. So there is definitely a benefit to doing that. Um, for a lot of the advertising, once Facebook started getting going better, what I would do is have giveaways on my Facebook page. Make sure you read Facebook's terms of service because they are very strict. Like you can't ask somebody to like your page. You can't ask them to share the post in order to be entered. Those are all violations. People do it all the time, but I'm not willing to risk my page for 
an infraction like that. So make sure you do look up terms of service on having giveaways. But what I would do is have a giveaway of a pet portrait. So what was happening was people would sign up for the giveaway, but then now because they've shared it with their friends, they got other people to look at it. Now those people are aware that I do pet portraits and some of those are going to potentially be my future customers or future clients. So those giveaways probably were the best thing that I ever did to get more business on the commissions. I was able to send people back to my website where, again, have that price list, very important. Um, That was one of the most effective things that I've done. I tried Craigslist. The problem with Craigslist is they think that you're an advertiser and I kept getting my posts flagged. So not for the giveaways, just for doing pet portraits in general. It got to where it was just annoying because most of the posts I posted there were getting flagged and... I don't know how to word this in a way that's like kind of PC, but most of the people who are shopping on Craigslist are not looking for fine art products. They were looking for free couches and free things, not for higher end items. So Craigslist, I just never had good results for. I even advertised for teaching classes on Craigslist. I mean, it's free, so it's not a big deal, but those kept getting pulled as well. Anytime you were doing anything, you might make money. It seemed like people wanted to flag the site and it may be an improper flag or an improper report you are allowed to post those. And a lot of what I was posting was completely legal, but people would flag it anyway. And I kept having those posts removed and it just got to the point where it was not worth my time to do anymore. So that didn't work. I think putting flyers on a car's windshield is a terrible use of your time. That you are probably not going to have anyone who's interested. When I was younger, I thought this was going to be a great idea. No, you're spending a ton of time going around, basically creating trash for that parking lot. It costs you a lot of money to print and you're not hitting your target market in that case. You're hitting random people who probably have no interest in having a pet portrait done. I mean, if you look, let's say you've got a a car or a parking lot full of 100 cars. Realistically, how many of those people are going to be interested? So the, the trouble of putting your flyers out, which, by the way, in most cities is illegal. You're not supposed to do that anyway. So you could get yourself in trouble for littering. A lot of problems with doing that. I think um, that's just not a really good use of your time. In which case, it would be better to talk about that in groups on Facebook. So let's say you've got corgis. Is there a corgi group that you can share some paintings you've done of your dog? You don't generally want to go into those and go, oh, I'm a pet port. You know, I do pet... I'm selling my pet portraits. Share yours and people will ask, oh, this is awesome. Do you do this? Can you do one for me? Then you can share the link in the comments to, oh yeah, this is what I do. Here's my website. You have to be smart about how you do this on Facebook so that you don't get kicked out of groups. I've had this happen a lot where I was sharing. I Even better, get one of your friends. Let's say you painted a Rhodesian Ridgeback and your friend has that breed. Have them share it within a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Look what my friend just painted. Here's, you know, check out their stuff. That way it's not you being spammy. It's the friend sharing something they liked that works way better for advertising on Facebook. So I think those are much, much better uses of your time than going and putting out advertisements that way. The same thing with newspapers. Most people don't really use newspapers anymore. So I don't think that that's going to be the best use of your time and your money either. I'm pretty sure you just made up some of those dog breeds. I did All right. Not. So anyway, the um, <laughs> just kidding. The car windshield thing. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, don't go door to door either knocking on doors. It's about the equivalent of that. And what's something that happens to you if you find something on your windshield that you're not interested in? You're irritated. You're so mm-hmm. mad. I, I am. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that. I don't Why did like you this touch person. my car? You know? 
yeah, yeah. It, it, it can do damage to your reputation. You don't want to do that. So, yeah, it, just not a good bang for your buck. So here's the thing with regard to uh, also with Craigslist. I have to agree with you, Lisa, on that. that it just It's just not the market that you want. We live in a day and time now where you have a lot of opportunities. You can advertise online if you want to do that. But that, I wouldn't start there. Here's the thing. When you're starting out doing commissions – who is your sphere of influence? You got to think about that and then think regionally as well. But start with your family and friends and let them know that you're serious about doing your artwork and you would like to take commissions now. And if they're not going to commission a piece, a project from you, then they'll have somebody that they know that probably will. And that's kind of how I started out. And the word, word of mouth will travel and they'll see your work and they'll like it. You could also do some local art shows if you want. Wanted to, but put it on your business card if you have it there. Put it on flyers if you have have those there. If you're in a physical space, let people know. Put it on your website. You take commissions. That kind of don't bang everybody over the head with it, but make sure that it is apparent and very out there, and and you're upfront about it that you take commissions and have a price list and and be very you know transparent about that. Know what your prices are going to be. And as far as that goes, you did mention that, right? Yeah, you talked about. The pricing, where is that? I'm trying to look it up here. Okay, well, you did talk about pricing, even though I can't even find it. I understand that, the, <laughs> Something I the, that people pay for the name of an artist. Oh, there it think is. that there okay. is a minimum price range to charge yeah. when new to commission work. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, and Lisa and I have talked about this in the past on past shows, but you want to start lower than, you know, you don't start at the top of the market, but you want to start lower than you would, you know, a few years down the road. But here's the thing. Pricing is such a nebulous kind of thing. It, it's a flim-flam deal. You can price wherever you want. But if you want to sell work, you've got to price it where it's competitive. And so you have to kind of know your value a little bit. And there's a lot of things that would go into making that decision. But just know that you don't have to end up where you start. But start at a reasonable price. Don't give it away. I see some people on Facebook, I see it in some of these groups, and they talk about they're doing portraits for 60 bucks or 150 uh, bucks or something. Why like, bother? That is, I, that is not even worth my time. I don't even care if it's an artist trading card. I wouldn't do it for that amount. You've got to figure out, you know, what is your time worth? And my, t- my time, and I think yours as well, Margine, is worth a lot more than that. So think about those things. Okay, now the blog, as opposed to having a static website, now I think that you could, you know, you should have a website. And if you're not ready to blog or do YouTube videos, no, there's no rules on this. You don't have to do YouTube videos. You don't have to blog. But the more content and the more you can put around your branding, the better. And so if you're not ready to do something like that, that's okay. But at least change up your website then once in a while and put some of your commission work in your gallery, unlike what John Middick does. <laughs> but put things out there, you know, and keep it updated a little bit and And then talk about on social media or wherever you're going to be, you know, interacting with people. Talk about the fact that, you know, you're working on this or that. And I think Instagram is a really good one to try to get active in. But, you know, post in progress pictures and talk about the fact this is a commission and that sort of thing. And I think you'll be surprised that, you know, you'll, you'll start being able to have commissions faster than what you think. Now, one of the things that you really want to keep in mind is who your target market is. You want other people who have pets. So where are places you can go to potentially do this? You may want to try to work with a rescue. If you've got a rescue you know of, 
them who every Saturday or every other Saturday, they're at Petco. See if they will work with you in that you give them a percentage of any commissions you make. Maybe they'll let you advertise there. Maybe they'll let you set up and paint dogs while, you know, maybe paint one of the rescue dogs while mm -hmm. you're there because then people walking into the pet store, this is your target market. One of the best places That's to go. That's a very good tip. Yeah. One of the best, best things you can do when you get to the point where you can afford it because it is going to cost you a bit, set up booths at dog shows. Get That's going to be more beneficial than an art show. A dog show mm -hmm. has other, it's all dog owners and dog show people, trust me, I'm one of them. I used to show my two studio assistants. We love everything to do with our breed. So if I could get anything that had an Italian Greyhound on it, I was going to buy it. So that is not just going to help you with getting commissions, which you would advertise there. You'd have samples of your paintings displayed. If you have prints of a lot of the breeds that are at that dog show, those are going to sell like hotcakes because this is, you're at the exact place. There is no better place for a pet portrait artist to go yeah, than that's a perfect. dog show. No, that's ex that is very good advice. Yeah, because just like you said, you want to go where your market is and you want to interact with those people and not be, you know, not doing it in a salesy kind of way, but you know, you want to be part of the group. All right. Well, those are a few questions we had this week and we've got more coming to you next week. And if you have a question you would like featured here on the show, you can reach out to us anytime. Podcast at sharpenedartist.com. Interact with us in the Facebook group, Color Pencil Podcast over there in Facebook. And you can go to our page, uh, sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A and submit your question there. And thank you very much for joining us today. If we haven't said it lately, I really appreciate you over there. And come back and see us again next week, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.